there. Welcome to the 21st of January 2022 episode of the Greenwich, a town for all seasons show podcast, the one that is hosted by the one and only Jeffrey Bingham Mead. That's me, by the way, in case you, you weren't sure. <laughs> anyway, um, it's great to have you with us today. So thank you for tuning in. Greenwich residents and expats around the world and possibly uh, in other solar systems, uh, will assert that it's always been a winning decision to tune in to this podcast, and I'm certainly glad that you did. I am a direct descendant of the 17th century founders of the town of Greenwich, Connecticut, the gateway to New England. Now, on this show, you'll learn about the 381-plus years of history of Greenwich, Connecticut, one of America's most extraordinary communities, a place that we call home. Now, are you new to these shores uh, well, that's fine. Whether you've been here for nearly 400 years, like I and my family have been, or maybe a mere 400 seconds, you are part of our history. So we welcome you with smiles and with open arms. Again, we are so glad to have you with us. And uh, with that said, I think that we ought to just turn around and get on with the show. Coming up on today's show. All right, well, on last week's show, we ran a little short on time. So today I promise to share with you the historical backstory about the construction and establishment of what was then a new public high school in Greenwich, and that was a century ago. That building today on Field Point Road is none other than Greenwich Town Hall. I'll have a story for you that's dated from 1912 about um, the outlawing of, of, of all things, common drinking cups. It's rather interesting. Um, I'll share a story dated 1974 about the restoration of Putnam Cottage. It's one of Greenwich's most venerated 1700s homes. Today operated as a museum by the Israel Putnam House Association. The first real winter uh, storm uh, of um, 1922 made the news. I'll share some uh, details about that. Um, and in continuing our celebration of the 125th uh, anniversary of the establishment of the police department here in Greenwich, in 1915, the telephone booth in the Greenwich eastbound railroad station uh, in the downtown area was entered and the cash box was stolen. Oh, my. Um, let's see. What else do I have? A hundred years ago, the people of Greenwich stepped up to the plate, as townspeople always have done here in, uh, in Greenwich, participating in a nationwide fundraiser for the Woodrow Wilson Foundation. It attracted some very prominent people in town. I'll have some details about that. Um, you'll hear about the Greenwich Historical Society's archives cataloging and digitization project, if I can say. We'll have all this and more as the show unfolds. Stick around. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these important messages. May I let you in on a secret? In my not-so-humble opinion, nothing beats the comfort and soothing qualities of a good, hot cup of coffee in a historical setting. 
The Coffee for Good Cafe is located in the Stone 1858 Solomon Mead House at 48 Maple Avenue behind the Second Congregational Church of Greenwich. My friends, this is not your ordinary high-end retail coffee shop. Coffee for Good is a new, unique, nonprofit partnership with the Second Congregational Church and Abelis. It employs and trains people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Coffee for Good's authentically historical, legendary ambiance will make you want to sip and stay for hours. Believe me, I'm there. <laughs> Enjoy exquisite indoor and outdoor dining. The service is attentive and friendly. And did I mention, ready for this, that the parking is free? Hey, just saying. Oh, and let me throw this into this free Wi-Fi. Need a place to study, work, read, meet up with friends, or just relax? Make Coffee for Good your destination. It's certainly one of mine. 48 Maple Avenue in the 1858 Stone Solomon Mead House. Open 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Saturday, closed Sunday. Learn more at coffeeforgood.org. Again, that's coffeeforgood.org. Support is made possible by an award winner of the Landscape Architecture Foundation, Greenwich-based Peter F. Alexander, landscape architect of Site Design Associates, believes that landscape design has the capacity to transform perceptions and ultimately inaugurate a deeper respect for the natural environment. Since 1979, Peter F. Alexander has been tireless in his commitment to excellence in project design, management, implementation, and personal service. Building upon a cornerstone of experience and trust, he believes that each landscaped project design expands the interpretation of design, craftsmanship, and sustainability. Peter F. Alexander is the founder of the Soundshore Environmental Information Institute. His notable projects include the Olympics Training Center at Lake Placid, New York, the master plan of the Calf Island Conservancy in Greenwich, Connecticut, numerous residential projects, and much more. Proudly collaborative in his approach, Peter F. Alexander's creations of immersive experiential landscape spaces cultivates a sense of community and connections that are second to none. Learn more about Peter F. Alexander, landscape architect at sitedesignassociates.com. Again, that's sitedesignassociates.com. You can also call 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. By all means, when you contact Peter F. Alexander, please be sure to mention that you heard about him through the Greenwich A Town for All Seasons show podcast with Jeffrey Bingham Mead. Thank you. We also welcome Long Island Sound Institute. The Long Island Sound Institute understands that a bright future relies on brilliant ideas and methods. The Institute aims to use modern planning and implementing new technology to conserve Long Island Sound. Looking forward to its stewardship in the area. To learn more about LISI, go on the web to www.li. S-I-S-T-U-D-Y dot info or call 475-897-5444. Again, that's 475-897-5444.
And we are welcoming a new major supporter to the show. The Ambassador Museum United States of America is in the process of organizing and implementing a virtual ambassador museum based in Greenwich, Connecticut. It seeks to be a tribute to ambassadors, their families, experiences, and the millions of lives that have been affected by them. The Ambassador Museum United States of America is looking for records, photographs, and videos of ambassadors and their families or people who have been associated with ambassadors in the past. Monetary donations are also welcome. Funding supports the Virtual Museum, which is receiving support from the University of Denver and the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies. Throughout the town of Greenwich's 20th century history, a number of ambassadors lived here, perhaps the most prominent being Ambassador Joseph Werner Reed. He grew up on historic Denbig Farm off Riversville Road in the backcountry and served as ambassador to Morocco and as chief of protocol of the United States, among other diplomatic assignments. On future shows, we're looking forward to featuring histories of those from Greenwich who served the nation in various ambassadorial roles. You can learn more at amusa.info. Again, that's amusa.info. You can call 203-347-4604. Again, that's 203-347-4604. Or you can write to Post Office Box 5002, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06831. Again, that post office box 5002, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06831. All right, my friends, I have a little assignment for you. I want you to get out a paper and pen or pencil, whatever it is they have, or your uh, digital device. And I have a name that I'm going to give you. His name is Rick Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N. And he is a remarkable librarian that is employed in the Greenwich Library system. Now, let me ask you this. Are you, are you a family history or genealogy enthusiast? Um, do you need uh, help with searching through an ancestry database? Do you want to know maybe a little bit about the, um, the history of your house? Learn more about uh, when your family settled here in Greenwich, whether Founders Rock um, marks the spot where the English centers, uh, settlers founded Greenwich, how you can access burial records, newspaper records, um, uh, ancestry records, microfilm and microfiche, uh, historic photos of um, Greenwich. Well, if you're at the Greenwich Library, Rick Hansen is your man. He is the local history librarian on staff um, at uh, the Greenwich Library, and um, he is somebody who has been on my show um, when I was on radio, and uh, he is somebody that definitely you should contact and get to um, to know. Now, um, you can do that uh, if you are at the main branch of Greenwich Library at Deerfield Drive and, um, and uh, West Putnam Avenue, um, which is uh, located at... 101 West Putnam Avenue in Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, you can call the library and ask to uh, speak to Mr. Hansen, Rick Hansen, at area code 203-622-7900. That's 622-7900. 
and please tell him that Jeffrey Bingham Mead of the Greenwich Town for All Season Show podcast sent you to uh, to contact him. You know, the, the Greenwich Library website, which is greenwichlibrary.org, has quite uh, an amazing number of uh, resources about um, the history of, of Greenwich that uh, that you can access online. Um, you can just uh, you know go and explore, visit, learn, whatever the case may be by going online to GreenwichLibrary.org. But if there's somebody that you need to talk to um, who is very, very conscientious and uh, will uh, an- patiently answer your questions, th- Rick Hansen is your man. So again, you can go to GreenwichLibrary.org um, or you could have stop in and visit at 101 West Putnam Avenue in Greenwich, uh, or you can call 203-622-7900. All right, well, last week um, we ran out of time, and <laughs> unfortunately, um, but um, we always have future podcasts, and so um, I wanted to share with you the fact that we are observing the 100th anniversary of the construction of what was then the new Greenwich High School, which today is the Greenwich Town Hall that is located on Old Field Point Road right near um, West Elm Street. Um, So I wanted to share some of the um, uh, stories that were uh, printed and published uh, about this. So this one comes from January 13, 1922, literally 100 years ago. Um, and the headline is, New High School Seems Nearer. Site may be on Benedict Pasture Lot, Field Point Road. So imagine that uh, when you go by the uh, the town hall that that used to be um, a pasture lot. Well, so there you go. <laughs> All right. All right. That Greenwich will have a new high school building as a memorial to the veterans of the World War if the proposition is acted favorably upon at a special town meeting, was declared by Julian W. Curtis at a forum meeting of the Chamber of Commerce held in the Havemeyer Auditorium on Monday evening. Mr. Curtis, who is a member of the town school committee, spoke at some length on the present overcrowded conditions existing in the public schools of the town, particularly in the high school. The present high school building, erected in 1910, accommodates 250 students. Today, there are enrolled some 550, with about 160 more to be enrolled next month. He mentioned the fact that when the Coscob School was built, many people thought it was altogether too large a building for a suburb like Coscob. At the present time, not only is it filled to capacity, but it has been found necessary to place a portable school building on the grounds. He heartily endorsed the new Glenville School. Speaking of the plans for a new school building, which he had with him, he said it would provide an auditorium seating of 1,200 and would accommodate 1,000 pupils. In addition, there would be a splendid gymnasium, as well as memorial lobby and assembly room, which would be used exclusively by the veterans of the World War. He further stated that the committee had selected as a site the property now owned by William S. Meany at the corner of West Elm Street and Field Point Road, formerly owned by the late Commodore E.C. Benedict, which could be bought for $100,000. He called upon Mr. Meany, the owner, who was in the audience, to verify this statement. 
Mr. Meany explained that when Commodore Benedict uh, rebought the same property in 1908, he paid $75,000 for it, and that he, the present owner, would be willing to sell it for that same figure. According to the records in the town clerk's office, Colonel Thomas A. Meade, the original owner of the property, sold it to Commodore Elias Cornelius Benedict on November 30, 1885, for a consideration of $5,000. On May 9, 1904, Mr. Benedict sold a portion of the property, 100 by 215 feet, to Abigail R. Wright. The property was then sold by Mr. Benedict to Robert M. Bruce on October 24, 1907, and on May 13, 1908, it was quick claimed back to Mr. Benedict by Mr. Bruce for the consideration of $1. Colonel Alden Twachtman also expressed himself as being heartily in favor of such a memorial building, and several questions were asked from the floor. When Mr. Curtis called for a vote by a raise of hands, the 400 or more persons in the auditorium were all in favor of the project. Mr. Curtis said that the town school committee intended to support the plan, submit the plan, sorry, um, to the Board of Estimate and Taxation in a few days' time, and then a town meeting would be called to take action on the new building. The total cost, he said, would not exceed $900,000. The additional tax to be levied for such a building, he said, would be only one mill more. Dr. A.B. Meredith, Commissioner of Education for Connecticut, also addressed the meeting, giving a general talk on schools throughout the state. He predicted at the time was soon coming when the attendance at high schools would be much greater even than it is at the present time. And instead of having a 12-year course in the grammar and high schools, a 13 and possibly 14-year course would be advocated. Hmm. Uh, three years in the elementary and three years in high school had been worked out with success in other cities. Right, the following is a letter that was published in the Greenwich News and Graphic from uh, a member of the community and um, who did not sign his or her name except, uh, except with the pseudonym Fair Play, Greenwich, 19, uh, January 12, um, and that would be 1922. And so this is about, quote, that high school site. And it reads as follows. Enter New News and Graphic. Your news columns this week will carry the report of the school forum on Monday evening last and the proposed Memorial High School. The site put forward is the Benedict Lot on West Street and Point Road, and the estimated cost of the project is $900,000. This school would have been built, I understand, by Mr. E.C. Converse if he had lived and he had already approved the plans. Naturally, the financial expenditure would have been on a liberal basis. The offer is reported to have been made by the real estate interests concerned in the site to sell this piece of property to the town for $75,000. This amount seemed very high, and the records were consulted in search of light, and the results were rather startling. Commodore Benedict bought this tract of land on November 30th, 1885, paying, therefore, 
the sum of $5,000. He transferred it to the late Robert M. Bruce by warranty deed dated October 24, 1907, and the property was reconveyed to Commodore Benedict on May 12, 1908 by quick claim deed, and it remained in the Commodore's possession until his death. In the appraisal of the Benedict estate as returned to the probate court of Greenwich under the title, quote, real estate, unquote, is found the following, stripped of legal verbiage. The Benedict lot on West Elm and Field Point Road, together with lots number 22 to 23 at the corner of West, uh, Field Point Road and West Bundam Avenue, are inventories at $30,000 for both parcels. The state tax commissioner appealed from this evaluation, and after a rehearing of the matter, it was determined by the probate court that the figure of $30,000 was a fair and proper evaluation for both parcels, and it was so ordered to remain. On February 9, 1921, those two parcels of land which are in question were transferred by the execution of the Benedict Estate to William S. Meany, as shown on page 153 of volume 131 of the Greenwich Land Records of the Town of Greenwich. This transfer was witnessed by the county clerk of New York County, and the statement required by law as to the amount of revenue stamps attached to the deed is set down as being of the amount of $50. The law requires $1 tax stamp for every $1,000 involved. Therefore, the property in question could not have been sold to Mr. Meany for more than $50,000. Consider the lots on Putnam Avenue at the corner of Field Point Road. That is a valuable piece of property, and the lots have a frontage of approximately 210 feet on the street and vary in depth from 140 feet on the easterly boundary to about 200 feet on the westerly boundary. The question then is this. The appraised value of this property was $30,000 for the two sites, confirmed after a second hearing, and it apparently was bought for $50,000 by Mr. Meany. What proportion of this $50,000 was paid for the West Elm Street piece? Here comes to the fact that Putnam Avenue piece is mortgaged in the sum of $5,000 and the West Elm Street piece in the sum of $15,000. Would it be unfair to assume that the valuation of the West Elm Street property was $30,000? And this is reasonable when we find that it is assessed on the tax list of 1921 at $20,000. This brings us to the very pertinent question of why the town of Greenwich should pay $75,000 for this property in the face of these facts taken from public record. Because this site is suggested for a new high school, should the town pay a premium of 275% over the assessed valuation? The solution is this. Let the town council take steps to condemn it and get it for school use if the taxpayers so decide, at a valuation which has already been approved by the probate court. Right is right, and if we must have that lot rather than use the ample space on Havemeyer School grounds, which would cost nothing, or adding to the present high school, then let the school board and the Board of Estimate and Taxation play fair with those who have to pay the bills through taxation and eliminate every dollar of unnecessary profit for anyone. 
he be, be he real estate owner or contractor. Then let the taxpayers decide at a town meeting what they want to do. Granted, we need more high school accommodation, but let's have them at the rate of $1 in value received for every dollar spent. Signed, Fair Play, Greenwich, January 12, 1922. And the following is an editorial that was published in the Greenwich News and Graphic on January 13, 1922, about the new high school site, and, is, uh, and, and it goes as follows. The prospect of getting that much-needed new high school building may be said to be brightening when the agitation reaches the stage where controversy over the price of a site promises to wax hot and acrimonious. <laughs> the imperative demand for a new schoolhouse, which is becoming more and more urgent as the months go by and the schoolroom congestion becomes more acute, was unmistakably voiced at the forum meeting in, in Havemeyer Auditorium Monday evening, and the rousing speeches of Julian Curtis and Colonel Twachman found ready and sympathetic response in the unanimous approval of the assembled crowd of voters and taxpayers. Even the proposition of Mr. Curtis to purchase the Benedict lot on Field Point Road, now owned by William S. Meany, was warmly acclaimed in spite of the tentative price $75,000 named in the discussion. The audience was in building mood, and every straw that indicated a wind favorable to the schoolhouse project looked good. It was after adjournment that the tentative price of the site began to grate, and the conviction was expressed that it was too high. This feeling is voiced in the letter uh, in another column in this page from, quote, Fair Play, unquote, who has manifestly been at some pains to fortify himself in the event of a proposition for a town appropriation. It is not improbable that the array of opposing argument will be found superfluous, inasmuch as we are informed Mr. Meany is agreeable to a fair appraisal of the property for school purposes, and the figure named may be materially and voluntarily reduced if it is found that the lot in question is the most available and desirable site for the much-needed school. The encouraging feature is the community is apparently universally awake to the pressing necessity for a new high school building that shall be adequate for years to come. The building is bound to materialize in due time, and when it comes, it will find a fitting place to stand. All right, this just came out to us at the Greenwich Historical Society, specifically through the um, newsletter. This is really fantastic news. Now, I have to tell you that uh, one of the great things about having the internet today is its ability to make historical information, documentation, photos, all sorts of things uh, available to the members of the public literally worldwide. This is really great, um, and this is about the Archives Cataloging and Digitization Project. The Greenwich Historical Society's James Stevenson and Josie Merck Stevenson Library and Archives, under the leadership of curator Christopher Shields, makes our Greenwich history collections accessible to and representative 
of our entire community and its recorded history. Now, as we approach our 90th anniversary in 2022, that would be the the anniversary of the founding of the Greenwich Historical Society, it is essential to complete finding aids for the Library and Archives uh, information collection of original documents relating to architecture and land use, local businesses, schools, local and state government clubs, organizations, and local families. This material encompasses 49 distinct collections. You know, that's really fantastic. Now, since October 2020, archivist Leslie Albamonte and digital project assistant Kelsey Dalton have made great strides to process several new collections with collections now accessible. Finding aids for these collections are searchable from our website at digital.greenwichhistory.org, including, are you ready for this, over 16,000 images from our real estate and photograph collections. Kelsey and Leslie have created informative and entertaining content featured on our website and social media based on their work with the collections. And you know what? We're very, very grateful for that. So we we extend our thanks. They have also worked closely with curatorial staff to discover and share items relevant to our exhibitions and education programs. Now, the records of the Garden Club of Old Greenwich are documented and described in a new finding aid available through the Historical Society's website. Now, the collection documents the early history of the club and is a vital organizational and visual history of an important Greenwich institution. In addition to processing the collection and writing the finding aid, Leslie has worked closely with Garden Club members in their research for a publication to celebrate the club's upcoming 100th anniversary. Now, the estate known as Bellora Villa on Lake Avenue was the home of Baron and Baroness John Carroll, I hope I pronounced this right, John Carroll van Eck. Born in the Netherlands in 1880, he had aristocratic roots. Um, he he began or he began work at the at the Royal Dutch Shell Oil Company and became president of Shell Union Oil Company's U.S. operations. Oil was vital to the success of the Allied war effort, and the Baron traveled extensively in support of the company during World War II. The real estate brochure was digitized as part of the Edson and Edson real estate collection. It is an example of an item that can be used as an architectural reference, but also to tell a broader story of a Greenwich resident. The Archives Cataloging and Digitization Project is supported by a grant from the Institute of Museum and library services, and a challenge gift from Davida and Ron Strackbine. We're very grateful for that. To support this project and help fulfill the Strackbine Challenge grant, please contact the Director of Development, Ryan Nuckel, at 203-869-6899. Again, that's 203-869-6899. Speaking of the Greenwich Historical Society, I thought I would share some news of exhibits and gallery things that are going on at the Greenwich Historical Society in Koskob. Well, this I really like, Child Hassam's Red Mill Koskob. It's on view in the Permanent Collections Gallery, and that will begin 
on February 16. There's a picture of this in the Greenwich Historical Society newsletter, which, by the way, you can read for yourself at GreenwichHistory.org. Now, painted in September 1896, during the first of many visits made by the artist Chad Assam, who lived from 1859 to 1935, to the Holly family's boarding house, the Red Mill Cascob is a depiction of the red-painted buildings of the Palmer and Duff shipyard, a shipbuilding outfit that once stood across the Cascob Harbor from the Bush Holly house. The shipyard was a favorite subject of many of the artists who boarded with the Hollies during the 1890s, and that would include John Henry Twachman, Theodore Robinson, Care Eppy, and Elmer McRae. The Red Mill Cascob, a recent addition to the Greenwich Historical Society Museum collection, uh, will be on view in the Permanent Collections Gallery, along with several other artistic depictions of the shipyard and the Cascob Lower Landing. And here's some more really fantastic news. Um, there's going to be a curator's gallery talk. You should get out your calendar and mark this down. Coscob's Lower Landing Through Artists' Eyes. This is going to be on February 23rd in year 2022, of course. It starts at 12 noon. Greenwich Historical Society Curator of Exhibitions and Collections, Maggie Dimmock, will lead a guided tour through the Permanent Collections Gallery, focusing on the once-busy landscape of Coscob's Lower Landing as a source of inspiration for artists, including Child Hassam, Epi, or, or Chair Ebby, and, um, and others. And then this also comes as great news. You know that there was uh, some issues that came up uh, about the opening of the John Henry Twachman exhibit. Well, it's finally going to happen. You're going to have to be patient a little bit longer, but this is fantastic news. Announcing the new dates of the Twachman exhibition, the Greenwich Historical Society announces that that exhibition will be opening on October 19 this year, 2022, and it will be open to the public until January 22, 2023. The exhibition Life and Art of the Greenwich Paintings of John Henry Twachman, postponed due to water damage to the Greenwich Historical Society's museum and library building caused by Hurricane Ida, has been rescheduled to October 19, 2022 to January 22, 2023. Um, highlighting uh, uh, artworks created by the American Impressionist artist Twachman depicting his home in Greenwich and its surroundings, Life and Art will be accompanied by a series of public tours and programs, including guided tours of the artist's former property on Round Hill Road. That's very, very exciting news. And by the way, do you know that you can you can actually purchase the exhibition catalog? It's true. Um, the catalog for Life and Art, the Greenwich Paintings of John Henry Twachman, beautifully illustrated and featuring an essay by exhibition curator Lisa M. Peters, Ph.D., is available for purchase from the Greenwich Historical Society Museum Store. That's really fantastic. All right, parents, children, I've got exciting news for you. I hope you're ready for this. The Art and History Camp 2022 will be held at the Greenwich Historical Society. At last, finally, thank goodness, the Greenwich Historical Society's annual Art and History Camp is back again this year, and we're planning a summer of fun. The, the camp will be from Monday to thri Friday, 9.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. The Senior Art and History Camp will be in the week of July 11th, that's for grades 
5 to 8, Junior History Camp for the week of July 18, which is for grades 2 to 4, Junior Art Camp the week of July 25th, uh, and that is for grades 2 to 4. One week is $450, two weeks is $800. Sibling discounts may apply. Save $50 per week if you register by April 1st. Now, I know it's still January, but folks, uh, I, I get started on this. Uh, this is really very, very exciting, and uh, I'd like to do my part to help you save, you know, a few dollars. Now, this is all mentioned in the Greenwich Historical Society's latest uh, newsletter. It is available online, or if you are a member of the Greenwich Historical Society, um, you get that um, in the uh, in the mail. Now, for more information and registration, you can find the History Camp online by going to GreenwichHistory.org forward slash art dash and dash history dash camp. I hope I got that properly. Now, the Greenwich Historical Society is located at 47 Strickland Road, Coscob, Connecticut, 06807. And um, and you can call them if you have any questions or even if you would like to join. Uh, that uh, number is 203-869-6899. That's area code 203 203- 869-6899. You know, even in the 21st century, we sometimes have to come to terms with the fact that we do have some laws on the books that um, need explaining, to say the least, or I put that rather politely. Some of you might not be so polite about certain laws that you disagree with. Who knows? But anyway, this was something that caught my eye uh, from uh, January in 1912, and it was about a new law that came into effect uh, throughout the state of Connecticut, and it was mentioned in the local press here. Because of the law which became effective January 1st, again, this is 1912, there will probably be a boom in the sale of pocket cups and those of the paper kind, which are thrown away after once being used and are inexpensive, while already largely used, will doubtless come into still wider use. Following is a ruling of the State Board of Health under the law above referred to. Quote, it shall be unlawful on and after January 1, 1912, to provide a common drinking cup in or upon the premises of any public building, hotel, restaurant, theater, public hall, schoolhouse, or store, railroad station, railroad car, or steamboat, unquote. Now, my friends, I have to tell you, I have been trying to find out what the basis of this new law was. So, uh, again, I, I, you know, I am an educator by profession, so I'm going to give you a little bit of assignment. Um, I would love uh, if one of you would contact me, or maybe a number of you, and find out for me why it is that this law was um, passed. Now, my source on uh, what I just read to you is from the Greenwich Graphic. It was dated uh, January 5th. 5th, 1912. It was on page four. So I would be very, very curious to know um, exactly why it is that this law was passed. The first one to provide me with uh, the backstory of 
of this article and of the law that um, that it cites, um, I will give you a $20 Coffee for Good gift certificate. Believe me, it's a great deal. I happen to be a, um, a big fan of Coffee for Good. I got to be honest with you, I'm a little bit partial because it is housed in one of my family's um, ancestral mansions <laughs> built um, in the mid-19th century off of um, uh, Maple Avenue, 48 Maple Avenue, in fact. Um, and so please, if you can provide me with some information about why this law was passed, uh, I will give you a, uh, and you're the first one to do this, by the way, I can't do this with everybody, but if you're the first one to do this and you can contact me at Greenwich Town for all seasons at gmail.com, or you could contact me through um, Facebook as, as well. Um, I will give the first one who provides me with substantive information about, um, about this. Um, I will give you a $20 gift certificate for coffee for good, 48 Maple Avenue in the Solomon Mead house on the campus of the Second Congregational Church. Well, 100 years ago this month, uh, the local press, uh, through the Greenwich News and Graphic, announced the first real winter, snow, rain, and sleet, um, it may, uh, making for disagreeable traveling, as the um, headline says. The first real snowstorm of the winter, that would be 1922, broke here early Wednesday morning, accompanied by high winds, which for a time had the earmarks of a blizzard. Later in the day, the heavy snowfall developed into a rainstorm, which caused icy streets and slippery sidewalks. Trolley cars were greatly delayed owing to icy rails, and even yesterday morning were running some half or three quarters of an hour off schedule. During the early morning hours, cars only ran to Greenwich. The weather moderated yesterday, and the warm sun melted away much of the snow and ice. Automobiles experienced much difficulty and skidded all over the street, but no serious accidents were reported. Considering the severe storm, very little trouble was experienced by the Connecticut Light and Power Company with its wires, only one circuit being blown. The snowfall put a damper on the skating at 10 acres and other ponds, which was much enjoyed over the weekend. By the way, if you do well, you might have heard or seen that place called 10 Acres, uh, that was actually one of my family's ancestral farms. Um, and it um, was located um, where Cardinal Stadium and Greenwich High School's campus is today. The area of 10 Acres was at one time a place where people not only went ice skating, but it was also um, a place that was very famous for uh, harvesting ice. Uh, and so there it is. I want to send my thanks and appreciation to the archival staff at Greenwich Historical Society, specifically Christopher Shields, for sending me this piece about the restoration of Putnam Cottage, um, which, of course, is one of the town of Greenwich's most venerated 1700s homes uh, located in the heart of the Putnam Hill Historic District. It's uh, painted red. You can't miss it. And it is directly across the street from Christchurch, Greenwich. Um, this is dated from uh, July 17, 1974. So we're getting rather close to um, the modern era. <laughs> and, uh, and so I thought that I would just um, uh, share this with you. It's um, very, very nicely, um, nicely written. So piece of uh, bygone era revived in Putnam Cottage's restoration. The, the author of this, by the way, is Bruce Hunter, reporter for the Greenwich Time. 
Putnam Cottage will be painted a dark red, a color typical of houses in the early 1700s, as part of the restoration project of the East Putnam Avenue House and Grounds by members of the Israel Putnam Association and the Hortelis Garden Club. The two groups are pushing to complete the project in time for the 1976 Bicentennial. When complete, Putnam Cottage will be restored to its original name, Knapp's Tavern, and become a national museum. Members of the Israel Putnam Association, under the direction of Mrs. Thomas Kirkpatrick, have been at work restoring Putnam Cottage for five years. Mrs. Kirkpatrick said doing the project is, quote, a privilege, delight, and a duty, unquote. So far, the group has restored two tavern rooms, the upstairs and downstairs hall, the east bedroom and the Putnam bedroom, and the divided front doors to their original condition. They still have the stone kitchen and the back of the cottage to complete. In the process of restoring the cottage, many artifacts have been found to help indicate its age. Mrs. Kirkpatrick said the cottage was built before 1700 and the kitchen was added around 1780. She said pieces of the cottage are being assayed at the University of Connecticut where there are indications that it may be of the very old old one-room type houses. If it is, it would be the only structure of this type still standing. Because this type of house was built around 1640, it would be of the first built in Greenwich. While digging at the fireplace, single, hand-cobbled shoes belonging to a very little child, an older child, and an adult man and woman were dated back to 1700 were found. Also on exhibit at the cottage are General Putnam's coat, hat, handkerchief, chair, table, and bridle, as well as an exact copy of the desk which the Declaration of Independence was signed on. The walls of the rooms have been restored, are all the original paneling or exact copies of the original, and the gunstock posts found in the Putnam bedroom are original and rare. The large fireplace shared by the two tavern rooms is also rare, and it has a hole in the back, which was of a previously unknown type of construction. Mrs. Kirkpatrick said the cottage was going to be painted red because white paint, its present color, didn't exist until after 1780. The shade of red to be used will match the color on General Putnam's jacket. The Hortelis Club, under the direction of Mrs. Walt Thomas, has been restoring the yard and gardens to their original 17th century condition for the last two years. Work on the gardens hasn't started as yet, but the club has erected a tool shed in the back, set up the stone wall that had fallen down, put up a post and rail fence, and set up an outdoor privy or necessary, quote-unquote, as it was referred to in early days. A well sweep was also constructed. A pile of wood is set up beside the, quote, necessary, unquote, because in colonial days, women didn't go out to go to the bathroom. They went out to, quote, get some wood for the fire, unquote, Mrs. Kirkpatrick said. The post and rail fence laid out in the Gunter chain measurement system, which was devised in 1620 by um, Edmund Gunter, is still used today. 
In recreating the early gardens, Hortalus will be planting roses of the period, ferns, lilies of the valley, and appropriate bulbs to add authenticity and color to the garden. An herb garden surrounded by an old wood fence will also be recreated by Hortalus. The herb garden, which will include parsley, sage, thyme, rue, and pot marigolds, was designed to supply materials to make portions to cure sickness. Excavations done under the directions of Gordon Schmidt were done on the grounds on June 17 by 15 young boys and girls. The excavations were prompted after a cistern was discovered in the back of the house. Many pottery shards, square-headed nails, metal artifacts, and some bones were found in the cistern and around the perimeter of the house. Mrs. Kirkpatrick explained that many of the items were found close to the house because the early settlers used to throw their garbage out the windows. The cottage is owned by, uh, is owned and uh, maintained by the Putnam Hill chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution. Putnam Cottage is being restored by the Israel Putnam Association at Hordless due to the role it played in our history. General Putnam, second-in-command under George Washington, used the cottage as his headquarters. Mrs. Kirkpatrick expressed disappointment that Greenwich isn't doing more in preparation for the bicentennial. Quote, the work at Putnam Cottage is all that is being done, and this is sad because Greenwich was the gateway to New England during the Revolutionary War, unquote, she said. The people of Greenwich, along with so many across the United States, uh, took part in a fundraising effort uh, that sought to raise $1 million. Again, this is in 1922, so 100 years ago, um, to benefit the Woodrow Wilson Foundation. And um, the people of Greenwich uh, really took to this. You know, this is a very, very big tradition here in the um, town of Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, this is a place where um, civic organizations and doing your civic duty is very, very important. There's a lot of great causes out there. And at the time, this was one that was seized upon by some very prominent people in um, in Greenwich. So let me just uh, get to the story. Again, my source on this is the Greenwich News and Graphic, January 13, 1922, and it was on page five. Um a nationwide organization has been completed to bring into being the Woodrow Wilson Foundation by raising a fund of $1 million. The income of this will be used to make periodic awards to individuals or groups who, in the opinion of a permanent board of trustees, have done the most signal work for public welfare and the cause of democracy. Mr. Franklin D. Roosevelt, that's a name I'm sure you've heard, is chairman of the National Committee. Among the National Executive Committee of 18 members is Miss Carolyn Roots Reese. She is the principal of Rosemary Hall in Greenwich, Connecticut. Others um, on the Executive Committee are Cleveland H. Dodge, Frank I. Cobb, editor of the New York World, Henry Morgenthau, for, uh, former minister to Turkey, Colonel E.M. House, Adolf S. Ox, owner of the New York Times, and Mrs. J. Morton Harriman. 
The organizing committee of 250 representative men and women of the nation have determined that there shall be nothing in the nature of a drive for subscriptions. Instead, there is simply an invitation to those who appreciate Woodrow Wilson's services to liberal thought and democracy to contribute according to their desires and means. The week beginning January 15 has been set as the time for raising the fund, and each state has its separate organization for this purpose. In Greenwich, Miss Roots Reese, together with Miss Mary Lanier, Roger S. Baldwin, and Garrett C. Peer, will be at the Greenwich National Bank during the hour of 12 to 1 p.m. on January 16. Again, that's in 1922. That time having been set as the National Wilson Hour, when all officers of the foundation throughout America are to be at their homes or offices to receive contributions. These may be made in money or pledges of payments to be made within the next two years. Those desiring to contribute to the fund are asked to come to the National Bank at this hour. If this is inconvenient, checks and pledges can be sent to Roger S. Baldwin, Treasurer, Greenwich. Woodrow Wilson has millions of admirers who feel deeply the force and value of his inspiration to the nation. Many others who have been more impressed by his mistakes and failings than by his constructive achievements and striking abilities will undoubtedly join in the nation's movement to honor, in such a fine and useful way, the man who was our president through the most epical years of this generation. Everyone, friends and opponents, recognize him as a leader of the American nation, who, a century hence, will be an outstanding figure in history. Support is made possible by an award winner of the Landscape Architecture Foundation, Greenwich-based Peter F. Alexander, Landscape Architect of Site Design Associates, believes that landscape design has the capacity to transform perceptions and ultimately inaugurate a deeper respect for the natural environment. Since 1979, Peter F. Alexander has been tireless in his commitment to excellence in project design, management, implementation, and personal service. Building upon a cornerstone of experience and trust, he believes that each landscaped project design expands the interpretation of design, craftsmanship, and sustainability. Peter F. Alexander is the founder of the Soundshore Environmental Information Institute. His notable projects include the Olympics Training Center at Lake Placid, New York, the Master Plan of the Calf Island Conservancy in Greenwich, Connecticut, numerous residential projects, and much more. Proudly collaborative in his approach, Peter F. Alexander's creations of immersive experiential landscape spaces cultivates a sense of community and connections that are second to none. Learn more about Peter F. Alexander, landscape architect at sitedesignassociates.com. Again, that's sitedesignassociates.com. You can also call 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. By all means, when you contact Peter F. Alexander, please be sure to mention that you heard about him through the Greenwich A Town for All Seasons show podcast with Jeffrey Bingham Mead. 
Thank you. We also welcome Long Island Sound Institute. The Long Island Sound Institute understands that a bright future relies on brilliant ideas and methods. The Institute aims to use modern planning and implementing new technology to conserve Long Island Sound. Looking forward to its stewardship in the area. To learn more about LISI, go on the web to www.li. S-I-S-T-U-D-Y dot info or call 475-897-5444. Again, that's 475-897-5444. And we are welcoming a new major supporter to the show. The Ambassador Museum, United States of America, is in the process of organizing and implementing a virtual Ambassador Museum based in Greenwich, Connecticut. It seeks to be a tribute to ambassadors, their families, experiences, and the millions of lives that have been affected by them. The Ambassador Museum, United States of America, is looking for records, photographs, and videos of ambassadors and their families, or people who have been associated with ambassadors in the past. Monetary donations are also welcome. Funding supports the Virtual Museum, which is receiving support from the University of Denver and the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies. Throughout the town of Greenwich's 20th century history, a number of ambassadors lived here, perhaps the most prominent being Ambassador Joseph Werner Reed. He grew up on historic Denbig Farm off Riversville Road in the backcountry and served as ambassador to Morocco and as chief of protocol of the United States, among other diplomatic assignments. On future shows, we're looking forward to featuring histories of those from Greenwich who served the nation in various ambassadorial roles. You can learn more at amusa.info. Again, that's amusa.info. You can call 203-347-4604. Again, that's 203-347-4604. Or you can write to Post Office Box 5002, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06831. Again, that post office box 5002, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06831. My friends, as always, I want to thank you very, very, very much for tuning in to today's 21st of January 2022 episode of the Greenwich Town for All Seasons show podcast with your host, Jeffrey Bingham-Mead. And that's, of course, me as always. Uh, (laughs) I'm a direct descendant of the 17th century founders of the town of Greenwich, Connecticut, the gateway to New England. It's my heartfelt pleasure to welcome you to this weekly show where we explore and celebrate the history of an extraordinary community we call home Greenwich, Connecticut. Now, well, as I always say, well, if you're new on our shores, I'm here to tell you that you are a part of our history, whether you've been here for nearly 400 years as me and my family have been, or nearly 400 seconds as maybe some of you are. Um, You're part of our history, so we welcome you with smiles and with open arms. We really do appreciate so much the fact that you have chosen this community to be either your place of work or even your home. And we do invite you, as always, to participate 
fully in the life of Greenwich, Connecticut. This is your home, and of course it's mine. And I want to thank you as always for doing so. You're making our community even better than it's already been, and we've got uh, great work ahead of us. Now, my next podcast is going to be up on the 28th of this month. That would be January 28th. Um, year 2022. Uh, And um, I'm looking forward to welcoming you back. So please join me. (laughs) 